Hey friends, Mikey Adams here with the Unsunday Show and joining a morning cup of joe with you today. You can see my cup right there. See if you can zoom in on that. And that's what I'm enjoying this morning as I'm talking to you here on this uh, edition or episode of the Unsunday Show, which revolves around morning coffee together. Just a casual chat. Hey, when we talk about pastors and elders, I think there's a lot of misconception within the body of Christ, within the church, concerning pastors and elders. I think that the model that we've been handed from church history that's come down through church history to us and that we are a part of is really not a good example of what's in Scripture concerning pastors and elders. So I want to open up a couple of passages of Scripture with you today and talk about those things. You're listening to The Unsunday Show. Leaving behind religious obligation to find a more authentic expression of Christ in us, this is The Unsunday Show. The first passage that I want to look at is in Ephesians chapter 4, and you and I have been there quite a bit, Ephesians chapter 4. If you've been following the Unsunday show for any length of time, you'll remember that. But I have my little handy-dandy Bible here on my handy-dandy iPhone, and so I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we'll start in verse 11. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And this is talking about the gifts that God has given to his body, that God has given to the body of Christ, to the ecclesia, to the assembly, to the church. And he says in verse 11, this is Paul writing this, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, unto Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so here's a list of spiritually gifted people here in in Ephesians chapter 4, who these are people, but they're spiritually gifted people, who have been given to the body of Christ, who have been given to the church, to the ecclesia, for the express purpose to make sure that every part is working properly. And in so doing, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But when we look around us now, that's not really consistent with what we see, is it? What we see right now is not every member in the body functioning. We see most members in the body being passive, kind of sitting passive in the pew and watching someone else do whatever they're doing. That's kind of the model that we see now. And that's the model that's been handed to us by church history And we've kind of taken it and run with it, and we don't really question its validity. We just assume that it's valid, and we assume that this is what's always been around, but it isn't. Because 
In our modern church assemblies, we're pastor-centric. We are focused on this one person or maybe a couple of people to get up in the pulpit and tell us what to believe, tell us what we need to be doing, and make us feel bad sometimes when we think we're failing, or maybe we are failing, and we want this person to remind us of our failure because, you know, we kind of go away again with that Eeyore complex that I've talked about before, where we're just kind of, okay, you know, this is just a drudgery day. And, you know, but that isn't, that isn't what the Holy Spirit does. That isn't what the Holy Spirit has in mind for us. And so when we come up here to Ephesians chapter four and verse 11, and we see that God has given gifts to the church, that is, he's given gifted people to the church for the express purpose of every member functioning. We just read it. But that's not happening in most situations today. There's only one or two people or maybe a small group of people that are actually functioning and the rest of us kind of sit passive. So there's something wrong with it. It's it's crippled. It's not healthy. It's not what it should be because we've centralized the pastor. We've centralized the one pastor and we've used this verse to do it. But the interesting thing about this verse is there's no information about who the pastors are, who the shepherds are. Your translation may say shepherds or it may say pastors. It's the same Greek word. But who are they? Well, we can't tell from this passage. We don't know who they are. There's nothing here about qualifications. There's nothing here about what they do, what they don't do. It's just listed there as a fact. There's apostles, there's prophets, there's evangelists, and there's shepherds and teachers. Okay, well, let's look into that because what we've done is we've taken this verse and we've called them pastors, we've called them shepherds, but that's not what the New Testament does. The New Testament doesn't call them that. And so let's take a look at a couple of other verses and let's begin to kind of flesh that out a little bit more. So the next passage that I want to bring your attention to is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We assume, again, because of church history, that Timothy and Titus were pastors. We call them pastoral epistles. We call them pastoral letters. Those are the letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus. But there's nothing in Scripture that would hint to Titus or Timothy being a pastor. In fact, if anything, Timothy was just an apostolic helper. He may himself have been an apostle. I don't know. Paul did encourage him to do the work of an evangelist, so maybe he was an evangelist. Whatever the case, there's nothing in Scripture that says Timothy was a pastor. But when we come to these letters, we read that into it because that's what we've been told. And so we don't really stop to examine or question that. But Timothy, there's no indication in Scripture that Timothy was a pastor. But what Paul is going to do here with Timothy is he's going to talk about overseers. Your translation might say bishops. Overseer, bishop, the Greek word is episkopos, and it can be translated either way as one who oversees things or a bishop. Um, so your translation could go either way, and either way is fine. But let's start at verse 1 of chapter 3 of First Timothy, where Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And I'll stop right there for a minute. The word office, that's a bad translation, in my opinion. It just, if anyone, decide, if anyone desires to be an overseer, a bishop, it's a noble task. It's a good thing. Paul didn't say if you aspire to be a pastor, it's a good thing. Or if you aspire to be a shepherd, it's a good thing. He said, if you aspire to be an overseer. Now in scripture, and we're going to see this uh, borne out more here in just a few minutes, but in the new covenant scriptures, elders and overseers or elders and bishops, if you prefer that word, are synonymous. They refer to the same group. 
And so we could say here that Timothy is speaking to elders, but I'll bear that out in the passages that we're going to next, and you'll see what I mean. But Paul here says, it's a noble task if you desire to be an overseer. That's a good thing. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. And you can see the list of qualifications. And it's important to notice here that an overseer or an elder has certain qualifications. Our Ephesians 4 verse, which just mentioned pastors or shepherds in passing, said nothing about qualifications. But here we see qualifications. So we have something concrete. We have something in Scripture that if we use the term overseer, we can define from Scripture. If we use the term pastor, we can't define it because there's nothing there. There's no information. But if we use the term overseer like the Bible does, then we can define it. We can come here and to other passages and we can say, look, here's the qualifications for an elder or an overseer. And we can double check ourselves and we can make a good solid definition of what an elder or an overseer is. You can't do that with pastors because, again, just like this verse, Paul didn't say if you aspire to be a pastor, it's a good thing. No, he's talking about a different group of people. He's talking about overseers who happen to have shepherding gifts or pastoring gifts. That's important. Now, the next passage that I want to look at is in Titus chapter 1. So let's go there. And so beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1, Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete. So Paul had dropped Titus off in this little island of Crete to do some certain things. And here's what he had him do. He said, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then here's the same basic list of qualifications that we saw in 1 Timothy. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, not open to charges of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, there's where Paul ties the two terms together here with Titus. Remember, he told Titus, I want you to appoint elders. That's who he wants Titus to appoint. And now suddenly in verse 7, he's given qualifications for an overseer. So an overseer and an elder in Paul's thinking and Paul's mind are the same thing. An overseer or an elder must be above reproach. And these are very similar um, qualifications for an elder or an overseer that Paul gave to Timothy. So again, we have something concrete to do with it. So if someone wants to be an elder, we have something to go by here. We have some qualifications that we can use to see if you know someone's qualified. Can't do that with a pastor. But you'll notice here too, in this list of uh, qualifications, there's nothing about degrees. There's nothing about Bible college degrees or seminary degrees. It isn't what school you went to, which is pretty much what it is today, at least in the West here. What school did you graduate from? And are you an articulate speaker? Can you keep people's attention? Those seem to be the two biggies right there. You know, what? where's your degree? And do you agree with our tribal doctrine? Uh, whatever that may be. And are you part of our club? And then do you speak in a way that really could attract people to our church, to our building on Sundays so that we can grow that? Because after all, we have bills to pay. So none of that is here. Instead, these are internal qualifications. These are character qualifications, and that's important. Now, the next place that I want to take you to is Acts chapter 20. So again, get my little iPhone going here and uh, go to the book of Acts, and let's go to chapter 20. And I'm going to scroll down to, uh, where am I? Verse 17. So Acts 20, verse 17. 
And let me set the scene for you here. Paul is nearing Ephesus, and he wants to meet with the elders of the Ephesian assemblies. So he calls them to himself on the beach. This would have been an amazing thing to be a part of, to be able to listen to this and to be a part of it and really see Paul's heart for the church, for the ecclesia. But let's read verse 17 of Acts 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. And so Paul is giving them a rundown of the history that he already has with them, with this group of elders. And it's important to note that in the New Covenant Scriptures, in the New Testament Scriptures concerning the church, elders is always in the plural. There's never a single elder. There's never a single pastor. That doesn't exist in the New Covenant Scriptures. The elders are always in in the plural. There's always more than one. Remember, Paul told, told Titus, I left you there to appoint elders, not an elder, not a pastor. I want you to call a pastor in, get the committee together, and vote on the pastor. That isn't how it worked. Paul had Timothy appoint people that were already there, that were already functioning in that capacity, to recognize them publicly as those who are elders within the assembly. And again, it's plural. It's always plural. It's never singular. But what we have today is a singular model. We have the executive pastor. We have honorific titles. We have a hierarchy of what's going on. And the higher the hierarchy goes, the more complex the uh, uh, honorific titles become. Isn't that true? So we have the pastor of this, and we have the pastor of that, and then we might have a executive pastor over those pastors, and then we have a super executive pastor kind of running the whole show. But that's not what we see in Scripture. We see a plurality of elders who are shepherding the church, who are overseeing the affairs of the church, who are taking care of the church. Now, let's go back to Acts 20 here, because I want to keep reading. And so after Paul kind of gives them a rundown of what he's done with them, reminding them, and then he warns them about false teachers coming out of their midst and to be on guard for that. And that's where we're going to pick it up again in verse 28. Again, Acts 20, verse 28. And here Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Remember, he called the elders, and now he's saying the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is a work of the Spirit. These are spiritual gifts, and the Holy Spirit has made them bishops. I kind of don't like that word. It sounds kind of religious, but you can put it in there, and your translation might say it. It doesn't harm the text at all, but the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and so Paul is equating, once again, elders and overseers, elders and bishops, the same thing. There's no mention of a pastor in here. Paul didn't call for the pastor of the Ephesian church. He didn't do it. He called for the elders or the overseers of the Ephesian, Ephesian churches, I can speak, and those people have been gifted with shepherding gifts. So that's important to note. They're not called pastors. They're called elders or they're called overseers, and they have that dual functionality within the body of Christ to feed the flock, as we're going to see here in just a minute, and to oversee the affairs of the, of the church, of the ecclesia. We'll talk more about what that means here in just a minute. So that's um, Acts 20. I guess the next place that I want to take you to is First uh, Peter. Let's go to First Peter chapter 5. And here we are in First Peter chapter 5. And the reason I want to go here is to further cement this idea of elders and oversight and overseeing and see what Peter has to say about it. So 1 Peter 5, chapter 1, he says, So I exhort the elders, plural, 
I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now look at what he says in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. You see what Peter just did? He's talking to the elders. He's telling them to shepherd or pastor the church and do it by taking the oversight. And so he's tying all three terms together here. He's tying together elders, he's tying together shepherds, and he's tying together overseers. Same group of people, the same group of people, but he's not calling them shepherds. He's telling them to shepherd. Just like Paul didn't call Timothy an evangelist, he told him to do the work of an evangelist. Again, we don't know what Timothy was, but he was to do the work of an evangelist. And here it's the same kind of thing. Shepherd the flock of God. Your translation may say feed feed the flock of God. Be shepherds to the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, that's a biggie right there, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so Peter does the same thing here. He calls the elders, or he's talking to the elders in the assemblies there, and he makes reference to the fact that they have shepherding gifts and that they have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to oversee the church. Now, what is an overseer? Well, from this verse, I can tell you what it isn't. It isn't someone who's domineering. It isn't someone who is demanding their way. It isn't someone who is, you know, get on board with my program or leave. It it isn't that person. It isn't a narcissistic leader. The assumption, again, is the person met these qualifications for an elder or an overseer before they were ever publicly recognized as that. And when I say publicly recognized, it's important to note that there was no ordination service like there is today. There's nothing you know magical that happens. They don't get foo-foo dust sprinkled on them where they have some special uh, in with God that the rest of us don't have. There's nothing mystical like that going on. When Paul said, I left you in Crete to appoint elders— he was simply making the statement that they need pub, they need to be publicly recognized as elders, as who they are, as overseers, so that they can function with the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them and do the job that the Holy Spirit wants them to do. But in the midst of that, we have to be cautious that we're not domineering. I think an overseer, to me, in my thinking, it's more of a facilitator. It's more of making sure everything gets done. Remember 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, where every member's functioning? I think that's the part of the role of an elder is to make sure that those who want to participate in the meeting, in the assembly, have an opportunity to participate in the meeting or the assembly instead of this one person's show. We don't see these elders who have shepherding gifts getting up behind a pulpit. There were no pulpits, there were no platforms, there were no sermons at this time, although there were. Uh, sermons in the culture at the time. In other words, Greek rhetoric was going on all around them, but we don't see that infiltrating the church just yet. That's going to be in the second century through the third century, and even after that, when that happens, that's where sermons came from. You remember a couple of episodes ago or an episode ago, I talked a little bit about sermons. We're going to return to that topic, and we're going to talk about the origin of sermons in a future episode. But for now, just know that there were no pulpits there was no Sunday morning uh, message. You know, it wasn't the central focus point of the time together. You know, we're so pastor-centered now, and we've moved so far away from this model 
that uh, what we have now is, you know, this is this is John's church. You know, if you, if you got Pastor John, let's say, and I'm not referring to any particular pastor. If your name's John and you're a pastor, this isn't a reflection on you. But if we're going to attend a church or someone asks us what church we're in, we might say, well, I go to John's church. And so that's how, that's just another indicator that we're so pastor-centered. We've taken that one verse in Ephesians chapter 4, and we've built a kingdom around it. But when we come to Scripture, that's not what we see. I think that we need to jettison this system that we have around us of pastor centrality and get back to a plurality of elders so that we can, number one, go to Scripture and define them. Again, you can't define a pastor in Scripture. You, you just you don't see it. It's Ephesians 4, and that's the only place where there's a noun form of a word of the word pastor, and there's no information there. We don't know anything else. It's just there. But if we look at the elders or the overseers, the bishops, we see that the elders need to be able to teach. That may or may not include the gift of teaching. I think it has more to do with being able to communicate the gospel, to defend the gospel, to have sound doctrine regarding the, the uh, gospel and who Jesus is and what grace is and you know everything surrounding that. But the elders have to be able to communicate that kind of truth. Some of them may have the gift of teaching. Some may not. That's up to the Holy Spirit. That's not up to us. Remember in Ephesians chapter 4 that we read in verse 11, that was the Holy Spirit doing that. That was Jesus giving out those gifts. Those were gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they're given at his will, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, not according to our will, but according to his will. And he gives gifts as he wills, and we really don't have much of a say in that, do we? But they're there. The gifts are there. We just need to let them operate. We need to let them operate and flow out of who we are as the body of Christ. And the single pastor model that we have right now prohibits that. It inhibits that. It prevents that from happening. Because when we get together on a Sunday morning, we're all sitting there in our chairs or in our pews, and we're looking this way, and we're just passive. We're, maybe we're looking at our phone. Maybe we're looking at our watch, if we have a watch, if you have an Apple watch. Maybe we're looking at lunch, or we're thinking about lunch. We can't wait to get out the door and get to lunch because we're really hungry. And so, you know, this whole system really doesn't provide an atmosphere or a setting where we can come together as the body of Christ and function as it was intended. As Paul said, when he mentioned that these gifts have been given for the building up of the body of Christ in love. And that's important. And that can only be done if we recognize what scripture says about leaders within the church. And we use the terminology that the Bible uses because then we can define it. And so let's have elders, let's have bishops, overseers, because those people are gifted to shepherd. And then we've got the same words that scripture uses. And so we can go to scripture and we can get a good definition of it. Because what we see today all around us in the systems all around us isn't something that came from scripture. We didn't pull this from scripture. This was given to us by church history, particularly in the second and third centuries of church history when the overseers or the bishops became central and started calling themselves pastors or even priests, and these pastors began to put other pastors in charge, and there was no participation. It was a pastor-centric system that we've still got today. It looks a little bit different than it did then, but it's still here, 
It's still with us, and it's not something that came from Scripture. So when we use the terms that the Bible uses, when we use the terms, the words that Scripture uses, we can go to Scripture and we can define what we mean. But if we pull the word pastor out of that context in verse uh, 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, we're kind of stuck with whatever we want to do. And that's what's happened in church history is that thing, that whole idea of a of pastor's centrality became developed in the minds of certain people, not based on the scriptures necessarily, but based on pastors putting other pastors in charge in order to gain control. And that's what we have today. That's the system that is still with us today. It's there. It's in place. It looks a lot different. Today, we have fog machines, and we have pews, and we have chairs, and we have an elevated platform. Our rooms are air-conditioned, but the idea is there. The principle is the same. So let's not take what we know in our church culture around us and superimpose it back onto Scripture, because that's wrong. What Scripture does tell us is that there are elders or overseers who are shepherding the church of God, who are shepherding the body of Christ. And that's what we need to get back to using those same terms. So, hey, I'm going to let you go. I thank you for joining me on this little edition of Morning Coffee. And cheers to you. I didn't really get a chance to sip much of this, but I'm going to shut the camera off and then I'm going to enjoy some caffeine here. And again, uh, this is going to be available in both audio and video. And I apologize for the hat today, but I was having a bad hair day. So I threw this thing on before I decided to record. I will have a link to the audio version of this in the video, and I will have a link to the video version of this in the audio so that you can see it either way that you want. So I'll let you go, and thanks for joining me. And until next time, y'all take care. Thank you for joining us on the On Sunday Show. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at unsunday.com.